all of the Richmond Group charities have a focus around long-term conditions and some of those are very condition specific but I think increasingly we are thinking about this in a more interconnected way you know around one in four of us have two or more um, long-term conditions which is known as multi-morbidity in clinical settings we use multiple conditions and that rises to two-thirds of people who are 65 years of age or, or older and I think the issue of multiple conditions is it really does have an adverse effect on people's quality of life it's associated with higher mortality adverse drug events unplanned care in hospitals and it's also really unequally distributed throughout society so people with multiple conditions in the most deprived areas can expect to experience them 10 to 15 years earlier than those you know in the more affluent areas there's a really big gap there it also really disproportionately impacts people who are black asian or, or from a minority ethnic community so we're really interested in in those issues and sort of some of those wider social determinants of health and what you know brings a person from one long-term condition to the next one and, and on and what can slow that trajectory um, and improve people's people's life course and of course that connects into the physical activity element of, of Michelle's programme. This is something that we've been working on together for a few years it obviously as you know things take a while it's a slow burn so we've been having conversations with with Port England since about 2015 actually about what might need to happen and how we could work together and actually we started doing some other kind of projects together in about sort of 2018 and then we hit upon the We're Undefeatable campaign. We launched that in about sort of September 2019 so it's been running for kind of just over over a year now. There's so many different organisations to sort of bring in and bring along on the, the journey that obviously these things they do take a little bit of time to kind of get up to up to steam and up to speed and uh, and kind of start making progress but as Eve was saying as well the real important foundations for the campaign was making sure that we did build in plenty of time to to get the research that we needed. Hello and welcome to the Natural Healthcare Network podcast. My name is Deb McLeod and I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in. Today I am delighted to say that I have a few members of the team from We Are Undefeatable joining us. They are Michelle Roberts, who is the Physical Activity and Health Program Manager, and Eve Riley, who is the Program Manager for Task Force on Multiple Conditions. And my co-host today is Registered Nutritional Therapist, Andrea Burton. We have a fantastic conversation with these amazing women who are finding ways to help people feel undefeatable. If you haven't checked out this charity, you must do so. It is a fantastic group and I hope you enjoy listening to this story and to the information they have to share with us as much as I did. Well, Michelle and Eve, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. And I am delighted that Andrea is here to add lots of input to the conversation today. But it's really a delight to have you on here to talk with us today about the campaign, We Are Undefeatable, which is really a collective of charities. And interestingly enough, I was just saying to Andrea that I was writing down the various charities that are part of We Are Undefeatable, and most of them have affected my own personal life, which is really quite sad but interesting. And I think one of the few is MS. 
that's one of the few that has not really had a, a specific effect on my my life. So I find that fascinating. But anyway, that's all about me. And we are here to talk about you. So thank you all three for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. So I think in my mind, the best way would be to get a bit of background about the campaign and how you started, because I think it's really good for practitioners to hear how organizations collaborate and why you decided it was important to form a collaboration so you could get out there and communicate in a different manner with people who have health issues rather than the individual charities. And then I think we'll probably just see that the, we've got lots of other questions amongst all of that, but we can kind of see how it flows from there. And so Michelle, I guess that might kick off with you. And then Eve, I want to hear about both your backgrounds and for you to share that with us. Is that okay? Yeah. So in terms of the We're Undefeatable campaign, as you kind of pointed out, really, that's a collaborative project that's managed by a group of uh, health and social care charities working in partnership with Sport England, who are kind of um, an arm's length kind of government body as well. And the reason for that has really come out of the a, a wider collaborative relationship that a number of these charities have. So there are 13 charities called the Richmond Group, and we're all essentially working towards a similar goal of trying to support people who live with long term conditions to, to live as, as well as possible and to get access to the support that they need. So it, it made sense for us as a, a group of charities to think about some of those different ways in which people might need help to live well and get access to support and physical activity or more specifically inactivity was one of those kind of topic areas because what we know is that um, when you live with a long-term condition you're much more likely to be physically inactive and by that I mean do no physical activity on a sort of any given week up to sort of 30 minutes so uh, essentially, we're talking about quite sedentary behaviour there. Um, and that's obviously going to have an impact on people's kind of health more broadly. But specifically, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that physical activity can um, be really beneficial and positive for, for different health conditions, whether that's management or actually for prevention. So there's a real kind of onus on on our group of charities to think about how we can help to sort of change that that narrative and shift that that dial. Um, so that's kind of where we've got a, a program of work that we're really focusing in on how we can best support those people, what what we need to learn about this particular audience that will really help us to do that. And I think the We're Undefeatable campaign has, has been born out of that. It really has been led by audience insight. So we've done a lot of research um, to, to find out uh, more about that audience and think about how we can apply behaviour change models but it's been so important that we do that as a collective um, so that we can make sure that we're having the best impact possible. Obviously, as a, you know, a charity, individual charities or a small group of charities, we could we could do that. But it was felt that we would be more than the sum of our parts if a lot of us all kind of rallied around and tried to create, I suppose, that consistent narrative around physical activity that I think was just lacking before. Um, so that's kind of really how it's all come about. And you know, it's it's really sort of fitted neatly into some of our kind of wider objectives within the Richmond group. What was really great was that we were able to sort of also work with other partners who weren't um, already in that group. So we work with Parkinson's UK, Mind um, and the MS Society as, as well. And it's just it's been such a um, fantastic experience 
being able to do that. And I think one of the things that really struck me when we did launch the campaign was how people people recognize the power of charities coming together to work in this way. And it was something that there was noted when we were doing our, our research and it still comes up now, you know, that but essentially it communicates to people that this must be an important message for us mm. to, to deliver when we've got so many charities that want to kind of get behind um, something like this. So yeah, it's it's been a really sort of important Kind of element for that kind of collaborative element and um, to how we're kind of going about delivering delivering the campaign. So you worked for Age UK, right? Was that who you worked for at the time that this started happening? I, I mean, I'm curious, did someone just come to you and say, Michelle, come on, let's just do this little task, all these charities, it'll be easy. <laughs> nobody certainly came to me and said that but <laughs> um so I, I was actually employed by the richmond group to manage this this project and then kindly agk who's one of our our members of the richmond okay. group offered to to host me and uh, they've right. been wonderful hosts i have to say and yeah they've definitely gone above and beyond um trying to support all of this work and and they're very much sort of leading on the campaign on behalf of the partners as well so we're you know they've they've been fantastic but all of the members have a different kind of part to play um so for example Eve is hosted by Macmillan Cancer Support okay uh, that was going to be my question or and I'm sure Andrew is the same is that right so Eve you were the same you were hosted by Macmillan yeah, so again, I work for the Richmond Group. Actually, it's even more complicated for me because the, the programme I manage is the Richmond Group plus the Royal College of General Practitioners and Guys and St Thomas's charity. And we are all working together around this issue of multiple conditions under the banner of the Task Force on Multiple Conditions. Um, but much as Michelle was saying, you know, these are issues that are really cross-cutting mm. and they're, they're issues that are really difficult to work on in silos and really makes so much more sense that we you know combine efforts and, and join forces and Michelle and I within our programs although they are you know adjacent they're very much connected and we we try and work together as much as we possibly can and some of the insights from Michelle's program have been enormously helpful to me in my program in terms of what we focus on and and you know future work that, that we do. It's the focus <laughs> primarily multiple conditions somebody with with multiple conditions or, or are you also looking at people picking up the age UK, the elderly who at the moment are really struggling mm. at home on their own and not getting out, not at all being active or is it just the, the multiple conditions? Yeah. So I think it's probably both. It's probably the simplest way to think about it. So all of the Richmond group charities have a focus around long-term conditions and some of those are very condition specific, but I think increasingly we are thinking about this in a more interconnected way you know, around one in four of us have two or more um, long-term conditions, which is known as multi-morbidity in clinical settings. We use multiple conditions and that rises to two thirds of people who are 65 years of age or, or older. And I think the issue of multiple conditions is it really does have an adverse effect on people's quality of life. It's associated with higher mortality, adverse drug events, unplanned care in hospitals, and it's also really unequally distributed throughout society. So people with multiple conditions in the most deprived areas can expect to experience them 10 to 15 years earlier than those, you know, in the more affluent areas. There's a really big gap there. It also really disproportionately impacts people who are Black, Asian or, or from a minority ethnic community. Mm. So we're really interested in, in those issues and sort of some of those wider social determinants of health and what, 
you know, brings a person from one long-term condition to the next one and, and on. And what can slow that trajectory um, and improve people's, people's life course. And of course, that connects into the physical activity element of, of Michelle's programme. And when you think about it, it's really quite sad that we're in this position where we are with those figures that you've quoted. That's that's really quite, it's quite sad, really. But I, it's such a big thing to try and get across to so many people. Seems, you know, it's one of those projects that you sort of look at and you think, okay, there's a lot of people and a lot of things to say. How how did you how did you go about yeah, getting it's started? An, it's an enormous topic, and it's and it's one of those ones that sort of belongs to everyone and no one a little bit so that's always a bit of a worry and it's hiding in plain sight because I think you know this is the the new normal really most people are going to be you know living with long-term conditions and we've got Mm. to um, adapt our systems to to better serve you know all people in that way I think the way that we look at it is and a guiding sort of force in both my my program and Michelle's is that we really want to bring in that voice of lived experience that it's so important to um, understand people's sort of needs and wishes across the spectrum and that you know that there are people within different local areas that have really valuable things to contribute that are not as often heard and we want to hear those voices and actually those people tend to be able to point you to solutions and what that might look like and it might not look the same in every location but there are principles that feel that they, you know, they cut across and hold true. Absolutely. I think that's, I think that's a really important area to note, actually, because even just in, in, in my area of nutrition, seeing people, I, I just, I just finished running a five day quit the sugar challenge for people, you know, sort of let's reduce sugar in our diet. And it's people from all walks of life but it's all local to me and they're all from different backgrounds different like you said different budgets um you know health healthy food doesn't have to be expensive at all um and it's just showing people how they can access things that are going to help them be as well as they can be and I think a lot of that like you said is local it's not necessarily a national program yeah and I think um with health and care services you know actually we, we are thinking a lot more about how you sort of widen that very biomedical lens to think about, you know, how you apply care in non-traditional mm-hmm. um, settings across the community, how you support people's well-being and what are the things that protect people's health and well-being, mm-hmm. um, but also addressing sort of wider issues like finance, employment, education. All of those things have a huge impact on people's health. Um, the interconnection between people's physical health and their mental health and, you know, kind of trying to erode that false divide, all of the things that help keep us well as as well as, you know, the the things that make us sick. Wow, it's massive. It's a massive project. So when and how did you get started? I mean, how long have you been going and and, and what was your start point? Um, I think I'm sorry, Michelle, I'm probably talking over your programme a bit here because so there's two separate strands of work that are really, really connected. Um, so maybe, Michelle, I'll hand over to you to sort of talk more about the campaign and how you narrow things down there. Yeah, and then you can talk a bit more about the how the programme, Multiple Conditions Support Programme came to fruition as well. And um, essentially, this is something that we've been working on together for a few years. It Obviously, as you know, things take a while. It's a mm-hmm. slow burn. So we've been having conversations with, with Port England since about 2015, actually, about what might need to happen 
and how we could work together. And actually, we started doing some other kind of projects together in about sort of 2018. And then we hit upon the We're Undefeatable campaign. We launched that in about sort of September 2019. So it's been running for kind of just over over a year now. There's so many different organisations to sort of bring in and bring along on the, the journey that obviously these things, they do take a little bit of time to kind of get up to up to steam and up to speed and uh, and kind of start making progress. But as Eve was saying as well, the real important foundations for the campaign was making sure that we did build in plenty of time to to get the research that we needed because the audience is whilst we kind of can talk about people with multiple conditions and long-term conditions as a sort of a homogenous group they, they really aren't as Eve was saying there's lots of subtleties and lots of different things that we need to sort of take into consideration so it's we really work hard to make sure that um, we we have as representative a sample of people in all of the research groups that we do as possible to, to really unpick what some of those differences are and where the commonalities and similarities are. So where there is a platform for us to have some sort of shared generic messaging and then where we maybe need to, to work with the charities for them to go and have some very tailored specific messaging that's really focused on a particular condition, for example. Gathering that information must have been, I mean, it's fascinating to get it all together, but first of all, to try and go out and get it together and then to put it together and then decide and then roll out. Mm, easy. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, everything just takes a lot of time, but it, it's so worthwhile taking that time to, to bring all of the different opinions and diff- like, make sure that you're aligning all of the different objectives that organizations have and then just making sure that everybody's got sight of all of that insight and are on the the, the same page and it really does help us to just ongoing it helps us to inform what we're doing so it wasn't just at the start we did some research that was it job done you know we've done it now tick Um, and it's been an ongoing part of the development of the campaign and I, I mean over the last yeah, obviously, it's become even more important. Um, yeah. Because, you know, having launched the campaign in sort of September 2019, obviously, come March, April 2020, we had to take stock and think about what we might want to do differently. So we, we've, we did a lot of research throughout last year to make sure that what we were doing was was still relevant for people and relatable and that's that's a critical thing you know you need to make sure that you're you're able to speak in the right language and connect with people which is one of the main reasons why the campaign is actually it's based on storytellers so people with lived experience telling their stories and I think that's what's made it so powerful and identifiable for for so many people yeah it really, really personalizes it. You understand more, uh, obviously, about what's going on and what their issues are. But seeing their achievements, their accomplishments are also really wonderful. So it's a, a great mix. I love watching and seeing some of the the things that people have accomplished. Are you finding that COVID, I mean, this is, you know, what a dumb question, but how bad has COVID been? I guess maybe on a scale of really bad to bad. To, I don't know. How do I even ask that question? It's. I think you already know the answer to it. Don't yeah, you? Yeah. yeah, it's a dumb it's question to pretty ask. Bad. I think we already knew um, before we went into the campaign and 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 this like program of work. And Eve will be able to corroborate this. You know, we already knew that this was a, a serious challenge. And I think what 
the insight that we've gathered over the last year is highlighted to us is that whilst we were actually sort of making some progress and inroads it's not a case of sort of wiping the slate clean but certainly we've been set back quite a lot and I think for for people living with health conditions multiple health conditions the the unpredictability of living with a health condition before COVID was already a massive barrier for people being active and you know generally sort of being able to maintain their health and well-being and and that's just become just such a huge issue now because you're layering that on top of the emotional and psychological impact of COVID-19 and the the outcome of all of the uh, restrictions that obviously people are kind of living under Um, and it's really affected people specifically you know who've had to shield and who've got multiple conditions and I think people with mental health conditions and we've really seen uh, a really significant impact on those barriers that we were already we were trying to sort of work our way around how do we work around these barriers how do we support people to improve their capability their opportunity and their motivation to be active and now we're, we're just having to rethink it all again and try and find new ways in which we can we can help to 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 remove some of those because it just they, they just layer on top of each other all of these yeah. barriers yeah I would agree with that. Um, I mean, maybe one positive um, to sort of think about um, that sort of struck me this year is a lot of people have described to us the treatment burden of a huge amount of um, appointments, sometimes at multiple different hospital and, you know, social care setting sites, um, sometimes even across different trusts, um, just the kind of dominating impact of having to kind of go for blood tests so many times a week or or whatever it is and actually with the shift to some of that moving online for some people with multiple conditions actually it's been a bit of a relief to be able to know that actually they can have a good conversation with their you know their GP or whoever their healthcare professional is and that actually it's taken away some of that travel and financial burden that kind of comes with it but that's not worked as well for everybody so we've also heard I think particularly for people with some mental health issues that it's been actually really, really challenging. I'm I'm thinking of one person with an eating disorder who said actually the face-to-face video contact is actually now such a barrier that I can't engage with with the the service, which is Mm. um, really important to bear in mind. So again, I think it's, you know, how do we take the good from this for those people that this works for, but without widening that digital divide and also you know not everybody can get online not every for all sorts of reasons yeah. you know so how do we make sure that we actually don't accidentally or inadvertently you know widen these um health inequalities when we come to sort of rebuild what can we take that's good and maybe if that works for some people it frees up resource then for the face-to-face um appointments that, that other people really really need so I think that there is, you know there's some really interesting stuff that's come out of the pandemic again around overnight people have been able to work together in ways that we would have you know not dreamed of happening so quickly and that's been a wonderful thing and some of that incredible multidisciplinary working you know we really want to hold on to some of that um and 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 think about how we can retain that going forward so trying to kind of grab onto some silver linings from the last year really really interesting i had i had a, a one of my cancer clients on saturday and, and of course it's all you know, online now. And she struggled a little bit because she's a young lady and she did lots of things with a local cancer charity. And there was Zumba, there was um, yoga, there was all sorts of things that she could get involved in, but also meet people who would maybe going through something a little bit similar. And now, of course, it's she can still do some of it and it's on 
online and she was like, I really don't like doing Zumba online. It's not, I'm not getting much from it. I know I should be doing the exercise. And for her, it became a bit more, it's become a bit more of a struggle. Um, whereas she got into the habit of doing it before and now it's become a bit more of a struggle. And I think it's, it's, and she's a young lady, so she understands the technology a lot more than say my mum does, but it's, I can see how it can be difficult for some actually. But it's interesting to watch the seesaw of how you expand and you can grow in some areas and yet the other areas that may have been able to thrive are contracting. And, and I think as you as a collective, the fact that you're able to capture that and identify that is actually really a positive thing because you're always going to have that happen, aren't you? And it's who is there to watch those people that are falling through. There's so many aspects and life is is complicated and this has really complicated things that much more so as well for people with multiple conditions even before the pandemic you know our research was sort of showing that a lot of the impact is uh, much more in that sort of psychosocial space necessarily Mm. than in you know the medical clinical space so people become quite easily isolated and almost trapped by you know their their conditions and their medication routines that can pin them into their houses and their lack of Mm. transportation um their social connections diminish and all those things are really really important so I think those people probably were already at higher risk of you know struggling with some of that social isolation so how we can support people better that uh, you know that are are struggling, struggling with those kind of complex conditions is really really important and I think it's why we are always thinking about how we how we widen that lens away from just clinical settings to all the other bits of your life that are important and all these other things that can keep you well and and keep you connected so in some respects do you think in in some ways this is it's a silver lining I should say because there is you know there's so many horrible things about COVID so I don't want to raise any issues about that at all but there are silver linings and is that something that you think has has actually been a benefit to it as those people who were already isolated it's just flagging it up even more I don't know I think it's definitely put a spotlight on on certain things um and again um I think I said earlier you know the health inequalities has been just so exposed and spotlighted by this and I just hope that we really think about that and act on it it feels to me it's a real opportunity like never before to you know really really do something about this and make things better and it feels like everybody is saying the same thing and and wanting you know that same change which feels really important I totally agree the first lockdown with two or three other nutritional therapists, we ran some courses on um, nutrition for people going through a cancer journey. And often people going through the cancer journey have other health issues going on at the same time. And so, and it was all online because we were in our first lockdown. And actually we learned through the six weeks of talking to these guys, it was in four different locations and they got a real community between Mm -hmm. them and they would sort of say, what did you eat today? And how did you do (laughs) this? And they got a real community going. But what was really interesting is that we learned a lesson that actually we need to put things together that helped. So they couldn't go for their shopping. They couldn't get out. They were isolated. They were shielding. So people who went shopping for them had their own specific supermarkets that they went to. Um, It might have been Lidl's. It might have been Waitrose. You know, it could have been any of them. And the boxes they were getting from the government weren't particularly nutritious. So you know, we then had to think ourselves, how can we help people from all different areas of, of the South, this was primarily the Southwest, but all different areas of the Southwest. 
and look at different budgets and different supermarkets as to what food you could get that was easy and that somebody could get for you and then you could make a quick easy meal so so we learn a lot from that as well and I think you're right people are putting a spotlight on different areas different backgrounds different ethnicities the whole the whole thing is is sort of coming together I think one one thing that's been quite positive as, as well you know it, it has sort of opened up this and sort of shined a light as, as he was saying but from a physical activity point of view as well one of the things that w- was quite pleasing was actually that the chief medical officers were talking very explicitly about the need for people to kind of be active but you know it's one of the one of the reasons the golden reasons that you could not be in your house was to yes. go for a walk locally and things brilliant like that. <laughs> so it, you know that almost became like a life preserver for people didn't yes. it because mm-hmm. and, and, and do that so uh, from from that point of view as well just the the visibility of that kind of public promotion of physical activity messaging and and kind of public health messaging I think has also that's given us an opportunity as Eve was saying you know we've got to sort of grab onto that opportunity and see where we can where it can take us now that people have become so you know aware of that and I don't know about you but I definitely have seen a lot more people actually out and about definitely I've (laughs) never seen so many people in our village no, I think it's it's amazing, Michelle. You're absolutely spot on. I I started walking every day, and a bunch of people that have, they've never walked far before in their lives, and they were going every single day because, as you say, it got them out of their houses. Another thing, I suppose, also to the previous points, is just about kind of trying to create choice for people. I think what we found in some of the work that we're doing is, you know. People felt a bit overwhelmed in a way about all of the sort of digital options and choice that was available to them. And, and so one of the things that we did through the campaign was that we created like a um, YouTube playlists of safe content that the charities had developed. And then we curated them based on like ability level or things like that to help people to sift through the plethora of content that had kind of popped up during the first lockdown. And a number of the charities created leaflets as well. And we, we created a leaflet to try and make sure that we were reaching people that might be otherwise excluded digitally from that kind of content. And a lot of it was just about just trying to give people whatever their situation was try to give people choice. So for some people, you know, they could go out and go for a walk. I mean, obviously, as we've just discussed, we've seen a lot more people doing that, but some people still couldn't. They still couldn't mm-hmm. leave the house. So a lot of it was about, you know, pick up some baked bean tins and, watch coronation street but while you're doing it do some exercises in your chair and yeah. try, try doing that so it's really really sort of small little changes that people could make that felt comfortable for them and it might be like andrew you were talking about um one of your clients not wanting to do zumba online but hopefully she when she was boiling the kettle in her yeah. kitchen, privacy of her own home maybe she could bust out some of those zumba moves and <laughs> try to keep it going and build it into her life her her sort of routine yeah I think that's it's fascinating my mum is she'll be 80 this year and she lives on her own and she'd been going to a a little um exercise class but it was a sitting down exercise class and so at least she had done that I think she'd been doing it for about a year so at least she some of it was it had gone in so she knew when she was sat watching the tv at night she could get her baked bean tins and (laughs) 
you know, she did know that she could do some of this stuff and she's got a stick and she went for a five minute walk and then turned around and came home. So she, it wasn't far, it wasn't much, but at least those things were there before for her. So she'd kind of got the habits. And I think it's the habit that actually makes us get out and do things as much as anything. So have you regrouped your campaign and what you're doing based on COVID? Has this changed what your your vision of what you're trying to do or is it just again has it enhanced things and made you just make minor tweaks yeah and I think we were already because of a lot of the barriers were already there before COVID as I said it's almost like that's just added another layer on, mm. on top so I think we were already on a good track because of all of the research that we've done and um, the, the knowledge that we can gain through all of the, the charities as well that are the key partners in it. So I suppose now it, it is just about trying to make sure we continue to undertake that research and understand what's going well and uh, what we need to do more of. And I think as we've kind of already talked about the sort of peer support angle and how we really um, help people to maintain those social support structures. That's That's been a really critical part of our thinking moving forwards because we just don't know for how long people are going to have to continue in this sort of vein. And I think it's just making sure that as much as possible, people do find those kind of support mechanisms. Because I think one of the critical things we've seen is just that people's motivation has just really kind of declined mm. over time because understandably there's just so many things for people to think about um that it just it kind of gets on top of them and they just think oh no that five minute walk and back I can't I can't manage that today and it's so it's just but if if for example you could sort of speak to one of your friends on the phone while you did that five minute walk would that be the thing that might help to encourage you if you said at 3 p.m every day you're going to do that together so it's just trying to to think of the different ways that we can yeah kind of help to support this this new normal support yes. people through this and, and continue to find and adapt adapt their habits so if people listening to this um know somebody or they themselves want to get some help or get some ideas what where do they go what do they what do they have to do to, to access what you're doing so the campaign website is available for people to look for the, the stories about um, that we've talked about, the people who are kind of the focal point. So we've got these these lovely kind of stories that people are telling. And we've also got information about sort of how to get started. So some really easy kind of step-by-step -step ways to, to get moving. We've got a YouTube channel with, as I said before, some yeah. lists of curated content that's sort of tailored to, to different people and different. So it might be if you, you know, you live with pain, chronic pain, you might want to look at some videos that are, are targeted at your you specifically. And then we've also got our leaflet, which is able, you can, you're able, if you are able to access it online, you can, you can download that. And we've, we've also got, a, I suppose I call it a virtual assistant. So if you need a little bit of help with motivation, there's a Facebook virtual assistant and uh, we've got a little tool called five and five, which is, as it says on the tin, pretty much, you know, it's five little move, different movements in kind of five minutes that you can pick and choose. There's kind of almost like a carousel of different uh, options. So that's all on our website at we'reundefeatable.co.uk that people can find that. So I recommend looking it up. Fabulous. I've got a, a few other things here that I'm thinking about, but what would you like to talk about that we haven't addressed thus far? Eve, is there anything? 
I guess from my perspective, if, if your audiences were interested in sort of the broader topic of multiple long-term conditions and supporting people in that area, we've got quite a lot of information on our website about the programme and the, the research that we've done. Okay. But also we've got a guidebook there which brings together 10 case study examples from around England. And it's where you have sort of health care providers working with the voluntary sector, um, working with social care or local government. So they're all quite interesting and different approaches to sort of tailoring services more towards people's individual needs and people with complex needs. And we wanted something very practical, you know, trying to show people how people are are addressing this, not just sort of what the problem is and, and why it's important. And we did a a refresh of that last year through the time of COVID. So how have those services survived, adapted? um, You know, what's it meant for them? So that's all online and there. And and I think we're just really keen to try and build a community of practice around this issue. I think there's so much in here to unpack. And as I say, I think COVID for us has really just strengthened our commitment to want to be thinking about the health inequalities lens and all of this. So we're going to be doing lots more work in that area this year. We'll be planning some online events and um, so I just encourage people to get in touch if they wanted to have a conversation um, or share some resources we're just trying to kind of make sure that we we keep the focus on this issue in ways that you know we, we can make things better um, yeah so is that the same website Eve, or is that a different website yeah Richmond Group of Charities website so um, if you just go on there and, and have a look for the task force on multiple conditions my info is on there so people can can send me an email and um, okay. we also produced a really short five minute animation which is a quite nice way into the topic yeah um, summarizes what we've what we've done and what we're about so to hear from people and you know it's from so many different backgrounds working on this same topic that the connection points just feel endless you know to how you can support people in it in a sense it doesn't seem to matter where you start because the idea is that you look you're looking at people in the round and in their context of their whole lives and that you know that covers a lot of stuff so and they have to just start somewhere exactly it doesn't matter where you start just start somewhere yeah I think one of the things that's really encouraging about it all, one of the many things that's encouraging is that it it helps people realize that they're not alone. And this has come up in the conversation that Andrea and I often have with, on the Cancer Talks podcast is that people who are going through cancer, that they aren't alone. And although they absolutely, the moment anyone has a diagnosis of some something and some more scary than others, you have that moment of thinking, oh, you're all on your own. And actually there's so many avenues and resources out there and, you know, just to provide a variety of ways for people to reach out. And that's the biggest thing is to, to form that collaboration. And I think that's, that's really wonderful. There are two things that are on my mind and these could be forever in a day conversations, but one of them is to, as nutritional therapists and talking about we are undefeatable and people's health and well-being, I would like to talk a little bit about food and how that relates to people's well-being because this is not talked about hugely, although saying that the NHS does have an advertisement out where you're seeing people eating healthier foods, which is great. You know, that's it's just starting to, to hit the media. But that was one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, although it's your, your charities are more about getting people moving and, and getting their mindset, helping their mindfulness and helping their mental health. It's that eating bit that's there's just this huge gap that is not addressed. So 
that may be a whole podcast on its own. And then the other thing I want to talk about is how you take care of yourself and what you to do to manage your own well-being because you have huge undertakings ahead of you. So which would you like to talk about? <laughs> or would you like to talk about the sunshine? Ava, do you want to answer the first question? Uh, sure. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'll jump in. I think for me, it kind of just speaks to this this um, argument that we're making around the social determinants of health and that, you know, food is obviously incredibly important and foundational. And unfortunately, we don't live in an equal society where that's as available to everybody in the same way. So that would be my biggest concern. And it's, you know, starting... I mean, it's been all in the news, hasn't it, over the last yes. year, you know, um, ch- you know, children and access to school lunches and, mm. you know, all of it. It starts really young and, and you know, it's in- incredibly important that people can have nutritional food. It just feels, I mean, extraordinary in a way that you would have to have that conversation. So it's not something um, that we focus on particularly in the programme per se, but it's a massively important component, you know, of people's health and well-being. Yes, thank goodness for Marcus Rushford. Yeah, quite. I mean, he's just been, he's such a hero, isn't he, really, to talk about the fact that this is is inexcusable. And I, I, I know Andrew's going to jump in on this, but actually healthy food does not have to cost the earth or the moon. And, and having just gone through her program that she's just been through, people think that it has to be expensive. And actually, it really isn't. You can get so much, you can get whole foods that aren't going to cost an arm and a leg. And it's just that education again and teaching people. And I I guess my question is, how do we, you're experts, you're getting the word out there. So how do we work with organizations like yourself or with the public so we can convey this to them in a more efficient and effective way so they can learn what to do with, instead of a tin of beans, you can buy a bag of beans or either use that tin of beans and how far you can make it stretch. There are just so many different things that I think I think what's linked to it, though, is that wider question of, you know, people's housing, what, what their what their kitchen might look like, for example, and what yes. they're actually equipped to be able to cook or not. You know, if you've only got a microwave or, you know, it makes all these things much yes. more difficult. Or if you're, you know, you're living in poverty and you can't afford to take advantage of buying in bulk or all those yeah. things that actually, you know, penalise you through, through being, um, you know, living with as financial means so I think it's all connected to that wider conversation about how we look after people and how we make sure that there are sufficient resources that you know we're not in this situation where um people are going without food yeah Yeah, I totally agree one of our cancer ladies on the course back in March April time all she had was a little um not a camping stove but you know those that you plug in and got a little hob on it you know, and, and we're saying, right, make soups. And she's like, well, I don't have a blender. I don't have, you know, how can I? So it's about being able to adapt everything that we say to somebody that literally mm-hmm. does just have this one little hob and a little microwave. And that was it. That's all she had. And, you know, her, she was shielding. And so she her shopping was coming via her friend and she could ask for certain things. But if her friend couldn't get them, she'd get something else. And Okay, so it's it's it, like you say, you have to work with what you've got. And you have to work with what people can do and are comfortable to do as well. It's 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 not a one size fits all by any means. And I, th- I think that's where the we're undefeatable campaign was. It, it is focused on physical activity. One of the most important parts that I've obviously talked about is 
that audience insight and understanding the barriers that like, you've just talked through. Mm. And it's kind of like, I would suggest taking a kind of systematic approach to understanding what those different barriers are so that you can kind of use behavior change mm. to help support people through that kind of journey and, and make, I suppose it's kind of, kind of embedding micro habits, just trying to get people to, you know, do small things over time to help build on, on kind of behaviors and I suppose one of the things that I hope is that through things like the campaign and you know if or if there's other things that changes that people are making in their life you know you can then use that as a platform to to make other changes so you start by increasing your physical activity but then you might think actually I am going to think about what I eat and what fuel I'm putting in and and maybe it's sort of an incremental process that just takes a bit of time. (laughs) It does take a long time. And I think when I first qualified, you should you sort of come out and you think, oh, right, I can tell everybody all these things that are going to help them and they're going to feel so much better. And then you sort of get back to the real world and realise that actually people can maybe make one change yeah. a week or not even, you know, one change a fortnight. You know, it's little, little steps that slowly build up to somebody feeling a little bit better. Yeah. yeah, and I think you touched on earlier as well the point around like food being so much more than food. It's like such a powerful force, isn't it, in people's lives mm-hmm. and so emotional and so kind of tied up in lots of things. And, um, you know, we need to think about these things really inclusively. So what people kind of culturally like prefer and what, what people want to cook with or what they grew up with, you know, those foods need to be available to those people so that it, you know, otherwise it can feel alien. And we saw yeah. that come up quite a bit in some of the guidebook examples around food packages that were given out in the time of COVID, but they were just not the kind of food that that community were eating or whatever, or that person's preference. So preferences, food intolerances, you know, mm. all of those things are really important. And, um, you know, we've got to sort of think about it from kind yeah. of a wide lens. Yeah, it's really interesting. There was a couple of ladies on, on, on the course. They were both older ladies, both with quite horrible cancer diagnoses, but they realised through the course that they actually lived in the same little block of flats. Um, so they actually got to know each other and, and through lockdown became each other's sort of support bubble because they were both on their own. Um, and one lady had a blender, one lady had something else. So they would cook together through the course. They met up and they would cook soups or they would cook, and they would almost sort of egg each other on to sort of do a little bit different oh well I should we try this and it just it became a really lovely a lovely I don't know thing to do yeah I love stories like that (laughs) yes (laughs) Yes. very heartwarming isn't it really yeah well thank you for that all of those insights are, are really helpful and you're right when you have someone who only has a hot plate how are you going to incorporate those changes into, into their lives? And also if they're older and then their budgets and really understanding what their budgets are with regards to what they might try and take on board. So thank you for that. Um, in, our, um, in our research that this thing, a kind of recurring question of trying to ask the question, like what matters to you rather than what's the matter with you? Yes. Um, and it's, it's that, isn't it, that people's individual needs and preferences will be just that. They will be really individual and what somebody wants to prioritise or, you know, the risks and benefits that where they're willing to sort of land up in that equation. It's really important to respect and kind of have that, that conversation with people. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, the, the more people I talk to that have multiple conditions or, or and, and I'm including loneliness in that, actually, because I think a lot of people now have a condition, but then they become lonely because of what we're going through. And that kind of becomes a condition. 
and you know the the more I talk to people the more I think it, it is absolutely that it's about them somehow somewhere being able to take control of something in their lives because at the moment so much is out of our control and and when you're poorly a lot of that is out of your control so what can they actually take control of and be happy that they're taking control of and like the exercise and the, and the movement can make you feel so much better and it's Absolutely. just things that they can take take control of and I think you guys have got a really really powerful role to play in that because um you know we've when we've sort of spoken to to people with health conditions you know who do you speak to about this who, who do you look for advice you know and people will obviously talk about their peers they, they you know they'll look to other people in a similar situation and ask them and they will look to the health charities to to do that but equally they really want to speak to professionals like yourselves to get that kind of that support and, and advice and I suppose just as much as possible like yeah for you to be able to be encouraging about those little incremental changes mm-hmm. and 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 be sort of positive and encouraging about that. And I think, you know, you, you might not quite get to understand the full impact of that, depending on how often you see people, but I'm sure, I'm sure that will have a, a huge impact on those individuals. The power of just, you know, some positive positive conversations. Oh, absolutely. Simple swaps can make such a difference and or even things like just drinking fluids, the right sort of fluids, hydrating more just can make such a difference because majority of people are dehydrated. And I think I just, if, if I can just add in there, Deb, I think it's, it's also really important that people get to know where to go for, I say, sensible, science-backed um things to do because what I've noticed as well I I see quite a number of long COVID clients and there are so many Facebook groups that have sprung up um people are joining and they're advising each other and sometimes you just want to go no 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 please don't do that because it's like googling things isn't it you don't get necessarily the right science-based backed evidence-backed answer and it's about being able to give people the the places to go to that are the right place. don't get me wrong some of the facebook groups i'm sure are fabulous but it just sometimes i have a bit of a moment when yeah. some of my clients say things it's very hard for those of us who do science-based research for nutrition wonders um, where people with complex health conditions would make obviously find enormous value in the types of services that you offer and i think one of those reasons may be because being able to take the time to talk to people and understand mm-hmm. their whole uh, life and what's going on for them and yes. some of that complexity which is really challenging and in no way criticism of GPs they don't have the time to do yeah. that um, and as you as you were just sort of suggesting some of those things to do with you know the water and what you those things come out of a better conversation and a deeper conversation so that mm-hmm. you can spot where these these issues are and um, people need the time to unpack what's going on for them and and, and do that with a professional um, in a way that feels, you know, safe and that they have the space to do that. And I think that's that's where holistic and complementary medicine really does that very well, generally, you know, in, in, in having that time and space to talk to people. Yeah. Right, Eve, that's so, so important. I mean, our first consultations tend to be about two hours. And, you know, how often do you get the time to sit down and talk to somebody about how you're really, really mm-hmm. feeling and, you know, I don't, I'm sure Deb's the same, but in that two hours, you find out so much. 
loads of information, but we that's where we work quite nicely with GPs is because they need to take care of the critical health issues, whereas we can help support them with more of the chronic health issues that people are just going to need support from over a longer period of time. So really valuable stuff. So I have a question for you both. How do you take care of yourselves? Because one of the things that healthcare practitioners have to talk about regularly is how we take care of ourselves because we don't, you know, Mm -hmm. we, we need to practice what we preach and we have to work on that. So how do you take care of yourselves? What do you do? Well, Well, first, I I would say I totally agree that, you know, it's um, it's a really good point you raise about us looking after ourselves, particularly at the moment for people that are, you know, working on the front line potentially and helping others. I think it's really important. It's like the first rule of first aid, isn't it? That you make sure you stay first and then look to everybody else. But I suppose um, I would be a massive hypocrite. If I just sat down sedentary all day, telling everybody else to adopt good behaviour uh, habits. But um, I do, I, I think, I, I certainly know, walking's always been important to me, but over the last year, my my daily walk, has, it's, it's kind of a lifeline, to be honest. If I can't leave the house and get out, see see a sky that's not through my window and uh just yeah get some fresh air I, I really notice the difference so definitely um that's a big big deal for me and um I'm kind of I, I, I sympathize a lot with the kind of people we, we're working with because I have a, a health condition myself so I do have to to manage that and so I have to think about what I eat as well and try to restrict the wine where I can um <laughs> but you know it's all about just uh, taking uh, taking a bit of time for yourself and I think even I probably have been on a quite a similar journey recently where we've kind of really thought about our work and our workloads and how we sort of try to make sure that we're we're keeping a check on that as well because it is so easy when you're working from home to just keep going keep going and then it's like you know 10 o'clock at night and that's that's not okay we we must sort of boundary it and draw a line under it at the end of the day and then be able to just decompress and relax so I think definitely that's something that um I think is really important so definitely yeah keeping a a lookout on what you're eating what you're drinking and and how you're being active but also just taking that quiet time and and thinking about making sure that you've you've got time where you're not at work at home focused on a laptop those things are important Eve? Completely agree, Michelle. And it's lo- it's lovely working with someone like Michelle, you know, that's reflecting those sort of values back at you because it you do sort of, it's really helpful when other people are kind of saying, actually, it's really important that you stop and, and are doing that themselves. I think it really helps us all if we're all kind of a bit boundaried about that and, and see that as, as a good way to be. And like Michelle, I have multiple long-term conditions. I've been living with them since I was 17 and um, it's taken quite a long time to... Uh, get a handle on them and they're conditions that flare unexpectedly and unpredictably and even when you do everything right they can still flare so again you know the basics I do quite a lot of yoga which I find really helpful and I love being out in nature but you know I live in Hackney so I've there's no square of Hackney I've not seen (laughs) I would like to leave Hackney that would be very nice Having long-term health conditions is a real bore. It's really hard, isn't it? I think even knowing as a, you know, as a lifestyle medicine, I know that um, 
I should be getting out and about, you know, you know it, but it's actually doing it that is a difficult thing. And a friend of mine put me in touch with, um, it's an, it's an online, again, it's a Facebook group, but it's an online group and it's this girl runs and it's absolutely heightened my motivation and accountability to get out. So you just join up and you, you choose a challenge, be it 25 kilometers or 200 kilometers. It's up to you. And you just get out and you, you walk and you take photos and then you put the photos on the Facebook group whenever you want to. It doesn't have to be every day. And it's just women. And the support in that group is out of this world. Nobody in there is nasty. Nothing is horrible. And then, and people just put, I've had a really shit day or they put, sorry, but they, you know, they put all these things in there. and it is just the most amazing thing that keeps you going, keeps you motivated. And I have to admit, 1st of February, I sat here today and I thought, oh, I won't sign up again. But you know what? I've just signed up again because it just done. <laughs> How many miles did you walk? Go on, confess. Come um, on. I've just thrown my thing away. So this, I think I did 106 kilometers in January. Um, wow. So, yeah, but, you, but you, know, you know, people say, wow, but then there are people on this group that are, are not well. They've got conditions and they've done like 200 kilometers. And it's like, you know, it's just amazing because the weather's been really bad and, you know, it's mm. been, but people just keep you going and they keep saying, come on, guys, put your boots on, let's go for a walk. And it's, it is really lovely. And I've recommended it to so many people because the only cost is that it's, um, so it's a, like, it's a, it's a challenge. And at the end of it, you get, you get something. So this month it was a, a base layer t-shirt with this girl walks on it. And I think it was, oh, I can't remember, £15 for the month, you know, and that gives Sweet. you the, at the end of it. So it's not a lot of money, but it's, it, yeah. So sorry, I waffled about that, but that's, that motivates me to get out and put my boots on. That's lovely. And I think it, it's just finding what works for you, isn't it? And and that can be so different for anybody. And some people want that kind of like alone time and some people want social connection and you can maybe get a bit of both, but just being able to move in your body and take pleasure in that is a lovely thing. And, you know, I think divorcing that from some rules about what you're supposed to do or just the act of being in your body and inhabiting it and being alive is a lovely thing. Um, and, we can yeah. take that. and seeing nature, you know, I think that's, it's such think a people, tonic. Yeah. I think people forgot nature was out there. We got so busy and full of life that and our own lives, we just forgot what was actually out there. So many people are reading more and having more conversations. It's really lovely. So, you know, there's, there are those wonderful silver linings from it all. So what haven't we talked about that we should talk about or that you would like to talk about? Can I ask one more question? <laughs> this is the woman who said, I don't know why I'm coming on, Deb. I love this. <laughs> of course. My previous life was as a PR consultant in technology. So my natural inquisitiveness comes out when I start doing these. Um, but I think for me, I just, I so say I looked through your websites this morning and had a look and I did get a little confused as to what I was looking at and what I was trying to, to find in there. And I was just wanting to ask you what, so here's my PR background coming out again. What one thing would you like people from who listen to this? What one thing would you like them to take away from this? That's a really good question. And the, I suppose the challenge is that we've got Eve's managing a, a program focused on people with multiple conditions, whereas the the We're Undefeatable campaign is um, is very specifically about physical activity. So, are we allowed two things? <laughs> Can I look two? Of course, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
It's It's a bit like Andrea saying, can I ask another question? Um, So I suppose I would say as a a starting point, I would absolutely love for people to go and just take a look at the We're Undefeatable website and just to kind of soak it up and kind of understand all of the different kind of offers we've got on there and for it to sort of hopefully inspire people to go and look for more information. So for example, for, for, you know, nutritional therapists and other kind of allied health professionals, there are lots of different tools and support resources out there. Like for example, on um, Health Education England's e-learning for health modules around behavior change and physical activity, all of those sorts of things are out there. But if you just want to signpost people to one place to get started, I think the We're Undefeatable campaign website would would be my my one thing. And Eve's, I'm sure, got her, <laughs> her own. Yeah, I think for me, it's just, as I say, we're, we're trying to build a community of people from all sorts of different backgrounds that are interested in how we, how we turn this big ship around and, and try and make things a bit more connected and work better for people with multiple conditions. So I would just encourage people to, to have a look at the work that we've done and, and get in touch if they would like to have a conversation or, you know, point out some other resources or just want to sign up to be, you know, made aware when we've got a webinar or something coming up that they would like to, to get involved with. Okay. That sounds good. That's really helpful. Okay. Well, I, just absolutely so thrilled that you could join me it's been an, a really really delightful conversation and as someone who has multiple health conditions it is always inspiring to meet others and to see how vivacious you are and how you move forward and I think those are the things that we talk about to our clients and to one another because there are a lot of people who are practitioners that have multiple health conditions or health conditions it's learning how you live well with it that you can live and thrive with a condition and make the most of it. And and you are obviously two wonderful examples of that. And it's great that you could at least come on and participate with Andrea and me. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Andrea, for joining me. My pleasure. It was really lovely to meet you guys. You too. Thank you. Thanks very much. Yeah, really lovely talking to you. You guys are brilliant. Thank you. Well, folks, that's all for today. I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in to Michelle and Eve share this information with Andrea and me. I think it's really exciting to hear that a collective of charities could really gather together and provide ways to support people and help them understand how they can begin to own their health. I'll be sure and provide links in the show notes so you can find out more about this fabulous organization. And I'll also provide details so you can get in touch with Andrea if you have any questions for her also. Now then, as usual, there are a few things I'd like to talk to you about, and one of them is you've got it. You've got to bounce soft to feel good. What can I say about that Bellican? It is absolutely wonderful and truly one of the best things that I have done for my own health and well-being over the past year. So if you'd like to find out more information about it, be sure and check the show notes below. There'll be a link, or you can always send me an email. I'd also like to thank those of you who are subscribing to my podcast. And if you haven't done so already, please do and or share this with other people that you think might find it of benefit. Because don't forget, these podcasts are here to support, collaborate, communicate, 
educate and inspire one another. And I have a great rota of people joining me over the next few months, so be sure and watch this space. But I couldn't do it without you and or your support. So I'd like to thank you once again for joining me. And for now, here's wishing you and yours the very best of health. Bye for now. Bye.